for a Quentin. Also, and and oh, and and Antoine. Um, Antoine. I don't know. I've forgotten. Where's where is where? Do you need to put your phone on silent. Yeah. Where does it start? Oh, for God's sake. Antoine. Antoine. Do you think it'd be nice to eat? Oh, sorry. <laughs> do you think it'd be nice what? to eat chocolate and beer at the same time? No. Do you think it'd be nice? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh God. <laughs> right, we're off to a good start. I can't even see our chairs. Oh, this is really loud. Just, just um, do your introduction. It'll, it'll be fine. It's good to get that done because okay. I don't know what essentialism is. <laughs> okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fact Twenty Six. Um, if you've listened to our previous podcasts, then you probably noticed that the books we pick are quite random um there's not much uh, rationale behind us picking them other than we just kind of fancy reading them or it's something we've always wanted to read for ages or it's a book we've read once and we want to read again and talk about um this podcast i've chosen nausea which is by jean-paul sartre terrible choice by the way <laughs> So, so bad. Um, it's a book about a man called Antoine Requentin, um, who's living in a French town called Beauville. Mm, um, and in the book, he's writing a biography about a historical figure called... Mark... <laughs> I've never said it out loud. <laughs> Mar- Marquis de Roulebon. Um, I think... I tried to look him up, but there's not very much about him on the internet. I think he's mm. something to do with um, Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in her court, I think. So anyway, I don't know why I chose this book because it's probably the most difficult yeah. book to talk about. It's hard. Ever. And we've kind of been dreading this a little bit because, I don't know, I think we feel kind of like unqualified. Some would say we might feel sick over the <laughs> idea of having to talk I about it. I feel quite nauseous <laughs> about this. That could be the beer. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we should probably caveat the whole thing by saying we can't say any of the names. <laughs> yeah, they're French. We're not even going to try. Did you do French at school? Yep, I did French GCSE and I got an A. Well, I did it as well. <laughs> um, but my French accent is just so terrible. Yeah, I don't want to be one of those people as well that says everything in English and then randomly says it in, like, a French accent. Well, I don't know which is worse, though, saying it in a really English accent or, like, yeah. trying to put on a really bad French accent to say it. So how would you say the author's name? <laughs> what, if I was saying it in my accent? Yeah. Jean-Paul Sartre is how I would say it. But it's meant to be Jean-Paul Sartre. But with more, like, of a gutter. Yeah. <laughs> Jean-Paul... <laughs> Jean-Paul Sartre. Like that. Yeah, kind of like the end of the... Mm. His name is kind of just a... Blah. Really unhelpful. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't do that more than, like, once. <laughs> so. Okay, yeah. I feel like if we're going to say his name right, we're going to have to pause mm. before every time we say it. It's my throat. It <laughs> Okay. It's just not going to happen, so we're not going to do that. Put the chocolate away over there. Um, okay, so another reason why this book is 
really difficult, I think, is that it requires so much con- like context and contextual understanding to really kind of, I don't know, understand what's well, being said. Yeah, but there's like two layers to it because you could read it like that and you'd have to know all about like the philosophical tradition and to see what it's talking about or against or you could just try and read it as a story well it's like when we were talking earlier and you said you read Camus the stranger Mm. and you read that without any kind of knowledge of the philosophical context which it had come from and you read it more as a story and obviously it is a story Mm. and I yeah there's a certain you would still experience the kind of nausea of the the Mm. thing but maybe just not be able to put it into wider significance um so yeah, <laughs> we're going to try and deal with the book just as the book rather than in a kind of, rather than get distracted by the kind of philosophy element of it because we're, Lazy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and other people have spoken about it's it. It's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone, people, much more eloquent, knowledgeable people have talked about it. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to know about existentialism... Go to another podcast. We can recommend a podcast called Philosophize This. Yeah, really good. Which is really good, yeah. And actually, he does loads of episodes on Sartre, and they're all really interesting. And he is a very fascinating character as well, so I recommend reading about Mm. him. Um, So yeah, I'll say, basically, I'm going to say a bit about Sartre, a bit about existentialism, and then we're just going to kind of talk about our experiences of the book and stuff like that. (coughs) So, Sartre was born in Paris in 1905. Um, he was a novelist, a playwright, philosopher, political journalist. He was an activist. Um, he was a bit of like a cult figure um, and really quite famous, like unusually for a philosopher. Also, like a bit of a celebrity. He was pretty much a celebrity. I think 20,000 people attended his funeral. So, I mean, he... Popular chap. He was very popular. He was also, also unusually for philosophers he was a bit of a player (laughs) although he's probably best known for um his relationship with Simone de Beauvoir um and yeah he as a character and a cult figure he kind of encapsulated a lot of what the 60s was about because um of his rebelliousness and he was very anti-establishment as well so I think in the when the student protests happened in um 68 he was very involved and he was almost kind of like seen as a bit of a figurehead or an icon um, kind of symbolising those things. So yeah, his philosophical focus was trying to understand human existence and from this came his philosophy of existentialism, um, which in a nutshell is the idea that there is no a priori kind of human purpose or essence um, and instead we define ourselves through the actualities of our existence and our actions. Um, So he said, Man, first of all, exists, encounters himself, surges up in the world and defines himself afterwards. To begin with, he is nothing. So in this sense, he says that we are condemned to be free. And by this, he means we didn't ask to be born, but now we're born, we're here and we have this liberty, this freedom to define ourselves, and we're responsible for everything we do. Um, Also, something which is going to be relevant to our discussion is kind of the background from which he came from, like his philosophy came from, which is um, phenomenology, 
which was, um, I've forgotten the guy's name, Hersel, Hersel, and Heidegger a bit as well, um, which is, and phenomenology is basically trying to define like human consciousness, and the way we experience things. Um, and so he kind of, Sartre was of the school of thought that when we experience the when we experience the world, we do so through kind of human biases and categorizations which have been conditioned into us. Um, and that is kind of relevant to Nausea, the novel, which I think we'll get on to in a little bit. But Emily, how did you find, <laughs> how did you find reading? How did you oh find reading God. it? Um, it was quite difficult to read. It's definitely not a page turner, but I did. I still got the impression like I'm reading something quite special. Um, the first, the first part of it is difficult, um, but it kind of gets easier to read. I feel like it builds up a lot of momentum mm-hmm. um, as he's getting, as the character is getting closer and closer to kind of confronting his feelings. The pace of the writing. Um, kind of picks up to mirror that and so it, it becomes a lot more engaging um it's you can't say you've enjoyed it because it's it's like it just doesn't let go I mean the title of it is nausea so it's mm-hmm. not going to be a fun read um but I'm really glad I read it and it did kind of make it did it did make me try and look around at everything I would consider normal and and just all my routines and everything and really try and like see it from a different point of view and but then you can't really make yourself have an existential crisis <laughs> like it, that's kind of the point it just happens so you can't be like I want to feel an existential thought so oh I was hoping um, it would spark an existential it did, crisis I had well I had it did remind me of an experience I had which wasn't well, it's not an existential crisis, but there was a specific part where he talks about... Um, oh, where was it? He's basically sort of having a panic attack and um, looking at a cork bobbing on the water and then, like, sort of just having a crisis because he's trying to think, that's just the surface and I'm looking at the cork bobbing on the water, but what is underneath that? There's just so much going on and we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the water imagery I had... Um, that feeling of not being able to comprehend everything and and not being able to to kind of order things I've had that literally from snorkeling (laughs) which is it's not really a metaphor it literally happened to me (laughs) because I was snorkeling and I was like looking at all this coral and then suddenly all the coral just ended and there was just nothingness like this blue nothingness and it's all around you and you're underwater and I I couldn't like swim out into that even though I knew that, like, rationally there was nothing there. I wasn't, like, afraid of a shark coming at me. I just got a completely, like, this massive panic attack about just the nothingness of the water, which is probably, like, not really the same as what he's describing, but I felt like the nothing element of it was. I think it because is. You're not, it's quite similar. Yeah, you're not, like... It's not that you're afraid of a particular thing. It's just the, the overwhelming feeling of not being able to define things and not having like a route for something and not having something to cling on to, which reminded me of the way his character loses grip of language and he's saying all these words and looking at all these objects and they're losing their meaning. So he, it's like when you say a word over and over again, it starts sounding really weird. Like yeah. you can pick any words and it would just sound like, like 
have absolutely no relevance to the object mm-hmm. if you say it enough times. I didn't know you've um, been snorkeling. Where was that? In Honduras. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Did <laughs> something go horribly wrong? That, that happened. <laughs> yeah, another great story. Of course, you had an existential crisis in Honduras. <laughs> Emily went on a school trip to Honduras and everything bad that could Almost possibly happen <laughs> happened on this trip. Um, yeah, but that what you were saying about kind of things becoming detached from their names or I guess losing grip of your understanding of stuff that's kind of related to um Sartre's kind of phenomenology in that we experience things through our kind of like biases or through the way we've been conditioned to experience things and I think what happens in nausea is that Requentin it starts to kind of experience things becoming detached from that like becoming mm. detached from the categorisa- categorizations which he's been you know used to applying to things just kind of become detached from those objects yeah. and then he starts to experiencing them as almost like raw sense data like just yeah to the point where he's like looking at his own hands mm-hmm. and he's freaking out about it because he's just staring at it so much and He's just, it's almost like he's looking at it for the first time as if he doesn't know it's a hand. Yes, it becomes unfamiliar to him. It doesn't become a kind of singular.